Hi, my name is Eileen Campbell Reed, and I am here today to talk with uh, three of my pastor friends who are serving churches in North and South Carolina. I have gotten to know them and work with them in the Helping Pastors Thrive initiative. And we've been working together uh, really through the whole pandemic. We met before the pandemic, and then uh, we've been uh, in a long going conversation with uh, these three and several others. And it's been a wonderful uh, way to be together and support each other through a really difficult time. And today I've asked them to join me so we could talk for a few minutes about my new book, Pastoral Imagination, and about the concept of pastoral imagination, and maybe even a little bit about the research project behind the book. So I'm delighted that they have joined me and I want them to introduce themselves to you. Uh, and let's start uh, with Elizabeth. Will you tell us more about who you are and where you are? Sure, and thank you, Eileen, for hosting us. Um, my name is Elizabeth Nance Coker. I serve as pastor of Lakeview Baptist Church in Camden, South Carolina. So Camden is known for raising horses and preparing horses to race in the steeplechase events. Uh, if it were not for the horses, Camden in Kershaw County would be, we would qualify for Together for Hope, the CBF program for um, economic restoration. So we, in my community, then my church is very small and we struggle to be together as a community, but also to have an impact in our community. So we're excited that we just planted a community garden to benefit the clients of the homeless shelter. Wonderful. Thank you, Elizabeth, for giving us a little background about where you are and who you are. Let's turn now to hear from Carrie. Uh, Carrie, tell us about uh, who you are and where you are. Yes. Uh, good morning to you, and thank you so much um, for hosting this for us. My name is Carrie um, Gerald Tuning, and I'm from Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, and I'm the pastor of Hope Christian Fellowship Baptist Church. Uh, which is located in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina. We are a little small town uh, uh, located in Halifax County, um, right off the eastern uh, northern part of, uh, of North Carolina, uh, right off of the 95 uh, area. So um, I'm just happy to be here and I look forward to um, um, sharing with you all of what I have learned from the uh, new book uh, from uh, Dr. Uh, Campbell Reed. Great. Thank you, Carrie. So glad you could be part of the conversation today. And Michael, tell us about who you are and where you are. Uh, my name is Michael Ramsey, and I serve as pastor of Cane Creek Baptist Church in Hillsboro, North Carolina. We are a small rural church, just a collection of uh, beautiful people from uh, farms around the, the adjourning farms, also some retired college professors that come and make their home at Cane Creek and uh, just an amazing group of folks. I worked for a while uh, in a psychiatric hospital and in a counseling practice before becoming a senior pastor and have been a senior pastor for four years now. All right. Great. Well, each of these pastors who are joining me in the conversation today and who've been part of helping pastors thrive, the initiative uh, that uh, works out of CBF of North Carolina, are all new-ish pastors. So they've been in the pastorate definitely less than five years, although they have a lot of ministry experience prior to that. So that doesn't mean they've not been 
ministers for longer, but they have been uh, pastors of churches for a fairly short time. Um, so we're going to talk with uh, each other this morning about pastoral imagination. And it's really easy to think about it in three ways, or it's, I don't know if it's easy, but at least it gives us some categories. First of all, pastoral imagination is a concept, and it's a term that was coined by Craig Dykstra, who at the time was the vice president for religion at the Lilly Endowment. He's a Christian educator and a wonderful thinker about how the work of ministry and the work of congregational life uh, unfolds and how we can understand it better and support it better. Uh, and he came to this idea uh, when he was uh, in some conversations with theologians and uh, pastors. And the idea was that pastoral imagination encapsulates a sense of practical wisdom that pastors, ministers of all kinds, whether they're activists or chaplains or priests or staff ministers or uh, work in nonprofit agencies, wherever they're doing pastoral work, uh, they develop a sensibility about how they are in the world and how they think, how they act, uh, how they lead people. And he said that they look into the situation and see it in its full uh, capacity, its holy depths, and they know something about how to respond in an appropriate pastoral way. Well, uh, about a decade after he had this idea and wrote about it in, in a number of places, um, Christian Sharon and I uh, launched uh, a research project called the Learning Pastoral Imagination Project. And we were interested in that project about uh, finding out how people actually learn this capacity. Uh, Dr. Dykstra saw it in, and he said it's easy to recognize when you see it, you know that's what you're seeing. Uh, but we wanted to know how do people go from simply imagining ministry to embodying a full, robust pastoral imagination? And it's a long arc of learning that happens over time. And it begins in seminary or usually before seminary. Uh, and seminary is an important part of that learning, but it's by no means everything. Uh, really, the learning happens when you get yourself fully into that moment of, oh, I'm the pastor now, or I'm the minister now, and it's up to me to make a, a, a moment of response here. I have to do it. That's when the real learning begins. Uh, we talk about in uh, uh, all the different aspects of learning in the project, and we've been following now a group of pastors, uh, 50 of them, uh, for the past almost 12 years. Uh, we started in 2009 interviewing them. We're now interviewing them in their 10th year uh, out of seminary. And that is fascinating, the things that we are learning. Uh, so these folks are not part of that study, but they are part of a group that I've gotten to know. And so they also had a chance this spring to take an early look at my book, Pastoral Imagination, same title. So we've got the concept, the research project, and now a book by the same title. And the book uh, presents numerous stories of pastors learning in practice. Uh, chaplains, activists, uh, ministers on church staffs, ministers who are educators. Uh, and the, those folks uh, just have been so generous in telling 
uh, Chris and I about their lives and their work. We didn't want to keep that just locked up behind uh, academic paywalls. We wanted to, I really wanted to get those stories out to more and more people. So I share things from this research project uh, weekly at 3-Minute Ministry Mentor. And the first season, the first year of the 3-Minute the Ministry Mentor has been encapsulated in the book. And then I added about that much more material to it to really make it um, a hope, uh, a way to engage people in their thinking and their acting as people learning the practice of ministry. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And I've asked um, each of these folks, uh, tell me a little bit about what you encountered when you opened up the book and started looking at the different chapters. What stood out to you or what drew you in? And um, maybe, Elizabeth, you would get us started again and just uh, tell us what you noticed when you started reading the book. Sure. Well, uh, the first thing was I love the format of it. I love the fact that I could take one of these chapters and just totally read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest it each week and be sustained through a year by that. However, that is somehow not how my ADHD brain works, but thankfully the Holy Spirit will be like, this is the one. And I have to say my reaction to this, and I love the journal component as well, because I need the discipline of that. My reaction of it is I feel seen. Mm. You know, uh, I, I think the work that y'all did in these sequential interviews over time informs me it's a, like a, almost a fast track. Mm. So uh, each of us, have had prior ministry uh, context, but not as the pastor. And that that idea for me um, was that change from being a worship pastor to being the lead pastor was, I, I can only express this as ontological. <laughs> the change of the essence of my being. And so in the book, I see other people doing that. And I've seen that in our cohort. Um, and that um, affiliation, I guess I would call it, is life-giving. Hmm. Elizabeth, is there any particular story that um, comes to mind right now that you found affirming in this, this way for you? Yes, thank you. Um, I looked at chapter 20 most recently and I got stuck there for a while because it's uh, telling the story of Father Stephen, who is a minister, but serves as an army chaplain. And so um, we were for many years a military family and it resonated with me so much because of his flexibility. Um, mm -hmm. and, and yet how he wrestles with the faithfulness to his tradition, but ministering to this wide context. And it applies to me in this little community because um, there are several distinctives about my church. We are not, not by any means the only Baptist church, but we are the only moderate Baptist church. And mm -hmm. as such, then we think outside the box a little bit. And I get to minister not just to my congregation, but to also serve as pastor for this homeless shelter, mm -hmm. and in particular for a specific group of people who have to be very well protected. And he is doing that. Stephen is doing that. Yeah. So this story about identity and place comes at a good time for me um, 
to hear because it reminds me that, you know, the expression, my place in this world, but also my place socially and my place literally GPS location. It's this convergence of that idea of where are you? And then spiritually where I'm finding myself post what was post COVID, but now is COVID 2021. And so that idea of, of the shaping of our lives and our relationships by all those factors, mm -hmm. it lets me be more deliberate about how I allow things to shape me, but also be more purposeful in what I can shape mm -hmm. given those parts of that, that make up my identity and yeah. play. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I, I hold on to that image of Father Stephen all the time. He says, what do I do when I'm an Orthodox priest and I'm trying to give communion on the bumper of a Humvee? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's a disjuncture. And we find ourselves in those disjunctures by the places where we are often. Mm -hmm. So thank you for talking about how that's impacting you and your place, Elizabeth. Um, Michael, tell us about a place where, uh, uh, in the book or an idea or a story that has jumped out to you and something that's, um, or maybe drawn you in to get you thinking about your own practice of ministry. Absolutely. It, the book and the, the workbook have been a tremendous gift in that, um, there are so many books that speak of formation, spiritual formation, even formation as pastors, mm -hmm. but the majority of them are simply just didactic. They're simply yeah. teaching strategies and helping you set new goals. And I was really in a rut as a pastor, uh, setting thousands of goals that <laughs> were irrelevant to me and to my congregation. And, and so climbing into this book really was an invitation to be formed. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like Elizabeth said, I, it's a book that I think is uh, it bears lingering over. Uh, there's concepts and there's a there's a way of life that is drawing you into that is incredibly powerful. Mm. Um, it, it's it reminds me a bit of uh, some of the work of uh, Makoto Fujimura that talks about pastoring as an art mm. rather than, than than just pastoring sort of as an occupation. That there is this partnering with bringing about a new creation that we are creators. And at the heart, for me, that's what pastoral imagination invites us into. Yeah. And uh, it's much less stressful. It's it's not uh, the question that we always hear at conferences, what are you doing? It's it's the question of who are you becoming? Mm -hmm. and, and this book offers a, a beautiful picture of this is who you're being formed to be mm -hmm. through the experience of just, just countless folks. Um, recently I've spent some time in the chapter on collaboration, mm -hmm. which is such an important reminder because it's so easy to be insular as a pastor mm -hmm. and, and to be reminded that, that we just need people from a variety of backgrounds to, to, to carry weight in our lives to, to partner with. And it's just, it's just been an encouragement on so many fronts uh, in that way. Well, uh, thank you for that, uh, Michael. And, and, um, what, what in that story of uh, the chapter on collaboration, was there anything in particular that kind of um, sparked your own thinking about 
how you're going to collaborate or what you're going to? You know, for me, I think the con uh, say conviction is the word that comes most easily, yeah. but it, it was a conviction of a lack of initiation on my part. Mm. Um, initiating, uh, reaching out to fellow pastors, to to folks who had valuable information and experience that, uh, that, that, that I needed. And to see that sort of in action was incredibly uh, in encouraging. And in many ways, as you read through the book, you feel that you're collaborating with a variety of pastors and chaplains, which is what's so encouraging about it is, you know, I don't have the ability to connect with anybody today, but I do have this amazing glimpse at the experience of someone uh, mm -hmm. who may be tackling issues similar to me or or very dissimilar. I think the beauty of of the book for me, again, I'm speaking generally, I apologize, but mm -hmm. is that um, the formation that it invites you into allows you to apply it to any number of situations that pastors are facing. It isn't simply a book on this issue that's in front of a pastor, because as a pastor, the issues change constantly. That's right. And there's four or five we're dealing with at a time, but as an invitation of, hey, you're being formed into this person, into this role, um, it, it equips you to face all of those. So yeah. I'm not sure if I answered the question well, I apologize. <laughs> oh, please don't apologize. No, I, I think uh, what it prompts me to ask, you talked about being invited into the kind of a conversation with these other people who are in their stories are in the book. And I wonder about whether the the journal has been helpful. You said it was helpful, but has it been helpful in, in sort of moving that conversation with yourself forward? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It, um, it, it helps me linger, which I think this, like, I'm tempted to rush through, uh -huh. to, to read and conquer, to look for quick <laughs> moments of application. And it, it's that invitation back again to just, to just sit a while with this, to carry this for a day, two days, a week it is, is wonderful. And it's been, it's been a huge help. It's, it's a, uh, I don't know if this makes sense. It's gentle questions. It's not questions that really just just cause you to wince and reevaluate yourself as a pastor, which some workbooks can be. It's it's just a gentle invitation to dig a deeper, to sit still for a bit, to allow this stuff to sort of marinate in your soul. And it's incredibly encouraging. I have a, um, a peer group of pastors here, and I'm really eager to to introduce them to this material as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Michael. And I'm glad that you're finding both the book and the journal helpful to your own process. That's that's what we hope for. <laughs> that's what I was aiming for. <laughs> um, Carrie, tell us about uh, something in the book that's been jumping out to you, or something about you've been something you've been reading that um, maybe has pulled you into it. I'd love to hear what your experience has been. I, I'm really excited about this book. I really, I really, I really enjoyed reading this book. Um, it's one of those books where you can sit down, uh, you take this book with you when you're going to an appointment or when you're just sitting back and um, you don't have time to read a whole lot, but you can just pick, you got 50 little snapshots here that you can go from. And, uh, you know, we've all been to, um, seminary. However, uh, we were taught a lot of theory, but this is practical things. These are people that have given us a snapshot of things that they have experienced. And because I'm located here um, in uh, North Carolina in a very rural, uh, economically challenged environment where I don't have a lot of uh, clergy colleagues that I can lean into and call 
and, and talk to. So I found this so very helpful for me because it's 50 topics, 50 real people that have shared their experiences. One where you can just pick up, you can read it over and over again. Then you can use the wonderful journal that comes that you can get along with it. And when you look at those questions in the journal, it can prompt you to do some uh, examining of yourself on how can I be better at this. And sometimes uh, I've found that for myself, it has been very difficult because I'm thinking like, I'm the only one, I have this small church, I'm the only one that's mm -hmm. experiencing these types of issues. But then for myself, I chose uh, number uh, chapter 19 about Pastor Debbie. It was like, Pastor Debbie is like this person such as myself. And I can say, hey, if she made it, I can make it. Because there were brick walls, me as a woman, uh, uh, as a church starter, you know, there were a lot of obstacles in my way. But I, I realized that by reading this book, it has helped me to understand that, oh, these are just a little small obstacle, but it's not going to uh, stop you from doing what God has called you to do. So because of this, I can take those bricks as stepping stones to move up the latter and not allow that to discourage me from doing the work of God. And I would recommend this book to anyone. I would recommend it not only to uh, pastors, but for ministers or lay people, because any one uh, individual can learn something from this. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so grateful that I have the opportunity to get this book and, and the journal and to work directly one-on-one -on -one with the author who's given me so many so much good advice that I can tell you I, I don't have enough time right now to even discuss it but if I were you I would go out and get the book in the journal <laughs> and share it thank you so much Carrie that's I love your enthusiasm about it and I I do love that image of um you know uh, we had two different people totally independent and there's actually a couple more who talked to us about encountering brick walls and they felt like they were banging their heads on those walls and they both had insights after doing that for a long time that maybe there was another way around and it didn't mean the wall went away the injustices that we face in the world the challenges the blockades in the church outside the church in in our own minds in our families they're, they're everywhere uh, we have to learn to live creatively with them and find a way to be who we are in our calling without being just a person who bangs their head on the wall, right? And so it is so encouraging to just hear stories from the people who have lived through it and found some ways around. And it inspires us to find our own way around. Uh, so I I love those stories that, that they've ever, I mean, I, this has been such an amazing privilege to me to um, sit with people time after time through their experience and hear about their how their vocations unfold over time and to know then be able to sort of show through their lives as uh, Elizabeth said a minute ago it's like a fast track you get to see ahead that there are things coming and that it's not um, 
this moment is not all there is. <laughs> and you don't know everything that you're going to know. You have things still yet to learn. And even people who've been in ministry for 10, 20 years are still, if they're doing their work, they're still learning. Uh, there's still something to learn with every new moment we enter into, right? Um, so I'm wondering, uh, as we kind of move toward wrapping up our conversation today, to keep it uh, uh, in a timely sort of way, uh, if any of you have questions, things that have come up in your mind about uh, the research project or the concept of pastoral imagination or anything you encountered in the book, uh, something that you just want to ask about or a comment you want to make about something that you noticed in there, um, I'd love to hear those from you. Anybody? Well, I'm curious, and I may have, this may be in the book, and I haven't read it yet, or I might have read it and not retained that, but, um, but one of my favorite studies is called the China Study, and they, they studied people from more than one continent over 40 years, and it had to do with their eating habits and the effects of those, and uh, what got me thinking about that was, you know, we have this amount of time for this book in this project, but I'm curious if they're in the back of your mind is like, and another five, and another five, <laughs> and another five, you know, because uh, I do think that we talk a lot about those pastoral competencies. It is not wasted. Our, our previous careers no. feed and inform who we are as pastors, for sure. Um, so all these people, I want to know, and then what happened? <laughs> right. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of that in the book that would would be uh, somewhat subtle because some of the stories, there's there's two parts. There's something that happened early mm -hmm. and there's something that happened later. Uh, a good example of that would be like the story that Georgine told us. And she talks about her early life of feeling a call to ministry and how she resisted that, became a lawyer instead. And, and she her life unfolds in that in that chapter. And then she talks about how she actually got drawn into preaching and it became this very powerful experience for her. She sort of got another calling to herself while she was preaching. <laughs> and so we get a, a sense of over time with several of this, a lot of the stories in the book, something early and something later. Um, the next book that I'm writing will do a lot more of that with women in ministry because I'm really trying to trace longer trajectories of their experience. Um, so that's the book I've been working on this summer, um, and it will, I don't know when it will be out, uh, but a lot of the stories in that book also come from the LPI project. Uh, not all of them, but a lot of them do. Uh, and yes, because we are at the 10 year point right now where we are interviewing people who've been out of seminary for 10 years, some of them have been in the same pastorate the entire time. Others have been in three or four pastorates. Others have been in chaplaincy roles and some have switched from one kind of ministry to another. So getting to see all those different pathways, all those different trajectories, um, yes, is a, is definitely in our sights for how we put together another, who knows how many books out of the project. Uh, this is definitely not the last one. <laughs> this is the first one. And uh, we did focus on that, that early transition, again, from imagining ministry to embodying pastoral imagination and how many different things go into that um, kind of transition. So that's a long answer to your question, but uh, a long question. It's, a process. <laughs> it's a process. And we do anticipate that there will be other things we write out of the project for sure.
What about Michael Carey? Do either of you want to have a, do you have another question you would like to? Yes. Um, I would like, I would like to, you know, I, I just really enjoyed the book. Uh, but however, I would like to know, and I'm glad that you're, you all are writing another book, but I would like to know what made you want to write um, pastoral imagination? How did you come about? Why, how did you see, did you see a need or how did you come about that? I'll try to be succinct. There's a lot to that. <laughs> That's a big question. Um, you know, from the minute we started the project, we wanted to share what we were learning. To me, this is all about what I've learned and then I get to share it with other people so that they can benefit from not just what I've learned, but what all these people in our study have learned, you know? And um, there's a, there is a kind of at the heart of this uh, project, a paradigm shift that um, is my subplot in all things. <laughs> and that is so much education for ministry and understanding of ministry has been about um, the head and what one thinks and what one says and how one preaches sermons that influence people and keeps it very much at an intellectual or rational kind of place. And we've learned a lot about how much ministry has to be about the heart. That's also true. I want to say far more encompassing than all that, both ministry itself and how we educate for ministry is about learning a practice. And we haven't not had nearly enough um, research, writing, or teaching about how we learn in practice as human beings. And that's why you can say, Carrie, I want to share this book with a lot of people because a lot of people can learn from this. Because at the core of this learning is what all adults do, uh, humans learn in this way, which is we see a thing, we imagine ourselves doing it, we start to try it, we make mistakes, we have to reset and try again. We do better if we have help. Uh, we have to learn to take risks and responsibility. This is true if we're talking about tennis or chess or how to drive a car or how to be a minister. And they're, they're, this kind of process of learning and practice involves learning the things that we did in seminary about church history and, and about biblical interpretation and about ethics and about um, how to prepare a sermon. All that's not outside of this. It's integrated into one larger thing. And no one told me that when I was a seminary student. They said, you're done with seminary. You should know what to do. Go out there and be a minister. <laughs> and I didn't know what I was doing, but it was really hard to admit because I thought I was supposed to know what I was doing. And so I want to give people the encouragement broadly that you're at the beginning and you're going to be learning this practice and it's going to take a lifetime. And let's talk about it together and let's figure out how it works. Because the more I know about how it worked for you, I can make this translation to it's going to be very particular for me. It's going to be very particular for you and you and you. We're not learning the same way, and yet there's a there's a universal learning process that is going on underneath all of that. Uh, so I, how did I want to? Why did I write the book? Because I want people to get this this concept, and I want people to feel encouraged in the ways that you all are describing. You're feeling encouraged about your own process of becoming ministers, becoming pastors. And I started Three Minute Ministry Mentor because we had written everything really geared to our academic colleagues. And I wanted to gear what we were learning to you, <laughs> to you and you and all the other people out in the world who are doing chaplaincy or activism or 
youth ministry or children's ministry or preaching ministry, whatever they're doing, whatever they're doing, I wanted them to feel a sense of, oh, this is how this works. And I'm not the only crazy person over here having this experience. Lots of people are having this experience. We just need to do a better job of talking to each other about, about it so that we can feel a sense of um, support and not isolation in what we're doing. So those are some of the things that motivated me when I did that first year of Three Minute Ministry Mentor. Uh, how did I pick my 50 topics? People like to ask me that question. Um, I was on vacation the summer before I started it. This idea had been building in me for a while. And I said, um, okay, if, I'm, if I've got 50 topics for the first year, I'm ready. So I opened up my journal. I'm a journal keeper. And I wrote A to Z twice, which would be 52. I was like, can I fill up all these spots? And of course, I didn't have many for Z or Q, but I had like a lot of extras for S and T and <laughs> M and whatever. And so I, in about 30 minutes, I had most of the topics that are in the book. I was ready. It, it had been building in me for a very long time. I was ready. And so I found a person who would film the videos with me and I, I found a person who'd help me with social media and I found sponsors who wanted to be part who believed in the project and wanted to be part of it and we launched it and that first year just every week next topic next topic and I was filming and producing and you know all that and I knew uh, because I talked uh, even to someone before I launched it at Fortress Press um, that the first year would be a book I didn't know exactly what it would be like, but uh, they were they agreed with me. And uh, so Scott Tunseth at Fortress has stayed right with me and um, we we have an actual book now. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was very much an organic kind of process more than any other book I've written or any other even big piece of writing I've ever done. It was um, from years of being ready and then doing it. Long answer to your question. <laughs> Michael, go ahead, Carrie. Were you trying to say something else? I said that it was very powerful. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the question I had was, if, if you had the opportunity to sit across from a weary pastor who is overwhelmed with just new, bigger, better techniques, just endlessly, uh, what word of encouragement or direction would you offer for them? The first thing I would do would be just to listen to their their situation and their story and their weariness and take a long listen before I offered anything. Um, and uh, I think I would ask them how it's going when they pray. Mm -hmm. Because that's really where our life source comes from in this work, right? And I, by praying, I don't just mean rehearsing the list of people who have needs to God's ears, because God does need to hear that and we need to do those. We need to offer those prayers. And I'm talking about the kind of praying that's presence, being in the presence of the Holy, whatever form that takes for you. Walking, sitting in silence, journaling. Um, and I'd ask them to tell me about how that's going what's happening when they try to pray. Um, and depending on what I heard, <laughs> you know, I might say, is there someone you can talk with about this on a more regular basis? 
another friend, another pastor, um, uh, a mentor. Um, because those kinds of supports are very important. I might also learn, I find, you know, one of the things that we're learning right now in this post or I don't know what to call the pandemic moment. What was it you said, Elizabeth? Pandemic 2021. It, it's it's a it's a turmoil right now. And one of the turmoils is that in the year 2020, we put off a lot of our conflict, and we put off a lot of our uh, anxiety, and just said we'll deal with that when this is over. Churches did this, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a moment where, uh, as things opened up, they said. <laughs> and now we're going to have the conflict and now we're going to have the anxiety. They don't say it out loud like that, but it just starts to erupt, right? Uh, going back has turned out to be much harder than closing down for many churches. And I know they didn't really close down, but the shift to online turned out to be a lot easier, hard as we thought it was, than the return to uh, being in person and plus, you know, for many congregations. It's not universal, but there are quite a few. And, uh, so listening to where those struggles are and how much of that is about grief and lament and anxiety and how much of it was about churches that were already in decline and needed to hear, needed to think about and explore together what renewal might look like. It got sort of waylaid by the whole pandemic long which moment, which we're still in. And so I think many pastors are worn down by that right now. And, uh, in need of rest, uh, in need of renewal. And so listening to what has worked for you been the source of rest and renewal in the past, or if, if not enough has been, then what could you explore? Those would be the kinds of directions I would go. Um, I tend to be a person who's gonna ask more questions and listen more and learn more because often we have what we need the Spirit has already enlivened in us what we need uh, to do our work and be in the world and answer our vocational call. Um, but we can get distracted by the many things or by banging our heads on the wall, <laughs> the brick walls. And um, so sometimes really listening is one of the most important things we can do to figure out what's next. It, it, it is, it's unavoidable. There might be other things we need to do, but listening is something we have to do. Um, so I think I would ask, in the simplest form, the pastor in front of me uh, to listen to their own life and let me be a witness, and we listen together. Mm-hmm. And then we'll see what emerges from that and what might be next. And they may know, they just need a, a, someone who can hear them and uh, affirm what they're saying. It's been lovely to talk with each of you today. Uh, it's been affirming to me uh, and to know that the the work we've been doing for a dozen years and which is represented somewhat in this book uh, has come to life in another new way in each of your experiences. And I'm really grateful for this conversation with you today. 